Hello and welcome to Bible 101. Please enjoy our Bible 101 series as we explore Genesis through Revelation. Also, listen to our roundtable discussions as myself, Greg Ross, and Eric Feeman talk about the major theological discussions of the Bible. Also, enjoy some of our interviews and apostolic apologetic series. We thank you so much for listening. Please let us know what you think by emailing BibleTTabernacle29 at gmail.com. That's B-I-B-L-E-T-T-A-B-E-R-N-A-C-L-E-29 at gmail.com. And also leave a comment to let us know what you think. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to Bible 101. I'm here today with Brother Eric Feeman, who just finished teaching his lesson. And it was a tremendous lesson, Brother Eric. Thank you for teaching that. Thank you, but he mentioned a couple of things in the lesson I thought it would be neat if we would talk about. And I think it's a neglected subject. We often take for granted that um, we are Bible believers and we believe we should go back to the Apostles' Doctrine and teach it. And we don't realize there's a lot of different opinions out there about what should or should not be taught in churches today. And some people would say, why do you people put such an emphasis on the Apostles' Doctrine? Why do you keep talking about going back to the Apostles' Doctrine? Because there's been development since then, and it's kind of like science. You know, you can't lean upon what was taught 50 years ago in science. A lot of times scientists were wrong. Why should we go back to what was taught this many years ago? But I want to read a verse of Scripture that I think is very important and enlightening on the subject. Uh, and it's the book of Acts chapter 2, and we've referred a lot to that in our lessons. And Brother Eric referred to this uh, lesson uh, if you didn't read it, but you definitely referred to yes, it a lot. Yes, and Acts chapter 2 and verse number 42. So after Peter gets through preaching on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls are converted besides 120. And then in verse 42, it says this, and I think this is so important, and they continued steadfastly. Now there's a couple of words there. Number one, they continued. Okay, and then it says steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And I think this is a verse that we often forget about, because don't forget when you're quoting Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38, repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Ghost, and you know the promises to you, to your children, to those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. But don't forget about uh, verse 42, because the Bible clearly says they continued steadfastly in that doctrine that had been taught them by the apostles. And uh, also, if you back up to chapter 1 of the book of Acts, and you read some of the last words that Jesus spoke to his apostles, he told them, of course, to uh, go and tarry and wait for the promise of the Father. And then he, he says, But ye shall, verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall. Now who's he talking to? He's talking to those people that were about to observe him going up into heaven, that were going to go and wait in the upper room and receive the Holy Ghost. Okay, and he says, And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. He put the preaching of the gospel in the hands of the apostles. 
Okay, and that's why it's so important to look at Acts chapter 2 then and to see that it's not just that the apostles preached it initially, but people were to continue in what the apostles taught and what they preached. And I think this is an important point. So let me just say to the listener out there that may not understand our mentality to uh, uh, approaching the Word of God um, and that we put so much emphasis on what does the Bible say, what did the initial apostles taught, what did Peter preach, what did Paul preach, uh, let me just say it this way. There's basically three approaches that people can use uh, in you know, teaching the Bible or teaching in, in religion. And it would be this. They could either teach, well, we lean on tradition. And the approach would be a lot like uh, Catholicism. That, that would probably be a good definition there. They lean heavily upon tradition. They don't just take the Bible. They also take you know, the letters of the early church fathers. Uh, they take the tradition of the church and what's been passed down to them. And so they lean upon something called tradition. And then we have what's called the Reformation. And if you've done any uh, study on biblical history, or not biblical history, excuse me, on church history, uh, you'll find out that there was a reforming of the Catholic doctrine. That's where the word Reformation comes from. Like, for instance, Martin Luther's a good example that... Uh, when he nailed uh, his opposition to the Catholic Church, um, and he, he wrote all of his, uh, his his paper on that and his opposition to it, it he wasn't uh, saying, "Hey, let's go back and and totally forget everything that the, that we've been handed up to this point." But he said, "No, let's reform this. I think there's some elements of it that's wrong, but some elements of it he held on to." And so, uh, you know, that's what Martin Luther pushed, and that's what a lot of the uh, preachers of the Reformation pushed. Let's reform this part, this part, this part. And it was kind of a slow uh, push away from Catholicism. And then, uh, this is what I, I want to talk about, is our approach is a little bit different than both of these approaches. We don't lean on tradition. And I think one of the reasons we don't lean on tradition is just look around you. You see how many different denominations there are. You see how uh, messed up the church world has become in many circles because people have leaned on tradition. And uh, you know, there's and then you got well. My opinion of tradition is this, and then another person says, "No, my opinion of tradition is this." And you've got these conflicting viewpoints. Uh, that's to me, tradition breeds uh, confusion. And then on the flip side of that, you got reformation. And my problem with that is, well, how do you know you've reformed enough? Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, uh, look at, for instance, uh, some groups of reformation went further than other groups. You know, you've got the Anabaptists, and then you had, obviously, the Lutherans, and you had other groups. What I uh, want to talk about is the approach that we take is different from these two approaches. And I'd like to call it restorationist. We yeah. seek to restore what was taught by the apostles. We want to go back, forget, I'm, I'm sorry, it's not as if we totally ignore church history because we don't, okay? But we want to go back to what the apostles taught. And this is what our conversation today is going to be about. Brother Eric's here with me. Uh, but I want to talk about why is it so important to get back to the apostles' doctrine? Well, the first point I want to talk about is that's how the church started. Jesus left right. it in the hands of the apostles when they preached it. And then the Bible says they continued in the apostles' doctrine. So obviously what the apostles taught was very important. Right. Well, and also what come to mind when you say that is the uh, talking about how the, the 
church was actually built upon revelation. Yes. And talking about that Jesus spoke to Peter and said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Mm-hmm. And the neat thing after that is after he said he, he uh, gave the he said, I give to you, Peter, the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. So, you know, you're thinking about that God turned it over to a preacher and said, I'm going to let you call the shots here on what the Word of God, not that he has his own interpretation, but that when the Word of God becomes divinely stated from the, the lips of the preacher, that, uh, you know, God kind of said, I'm going to back up my preacher. Yes, and he said, upon this rock I will build my church. Obviously not talking so, about Peter. Not talking about Peter, right. But the talking about the revelation he gave right. of who he was. Because well, that's where that comes from. You can read that in context. Can you grab Matthew chapter 16? Yes. Uh, in Matthew chapter 16, I want to take time to read what we're talking about here. And I believe this is very important uh, in the context that we're talking about here today because... We're talking about the authority that Jesus gave his apostles, and among them, of course, Simon Peter. Why Peter? Why was he so important? Well, I want to talk about that. So let's go over to the book of Matthew chapter 16 and start reading at verse number 15, Brother Eric. And uh, let's read down through uh, verse number 19. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Okay, let's stop there for just a second. Now notice what he said. He said, flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee. In other words, this isn't just something you calculated and figured out in your own mind, saying, well, because he did miracles, uh, you know, and then because he's done supernatural works and he has supernatural knowledge and he teaches in such an extraordinary way and, you know, you take you, and you divide these numbers together and you put these numbers together and, ah, there we go. The, the conclusion is he must be the Christ. But Jesus said this was not revealed by flesh and blood. Right. And it also wasn't something that you and your buddies got together and said, you know, this is what I think. No, this mm-hmm. is what I think. Because mm-hmm. if you back up, he's saying, some say that thou art John the Baptist. You can read that in right. verse 14. Some say Elias. Some say one of the prophets. Jesus's question was, who do you say that I am? And Peter, when he said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus is saying, you didn't figure this out through fl- flesh and blood. This was uh, by divine revelation. Mm-hmm. Okay, can you keep reading? And yeah, it says, and, and I also say unto thee that thou art Peter upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now we already mentioned the fact that this rock is not talking about Peter in the, the Greek mm-hmm. uh, differences between the word Petros uh, and Petra. Yes. Uh, and so you have the difference between a uh, small rock, thou art Peter, which would be a small rock. And upon this rock, talking about a giant rock, Petra, mm-hmm. I will build my church. So he's talking about what the revelation, the revelation of who he is right. and that is that is the primary foundation it's the revelation of who Jesus is mm-hmm. okay not what some church says he is but it's the revelation of who he is as God revealed to Simon Peter he said upon this rock I will build my church keep reading and the and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it okay verse 19 and this I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Okay, this is what Brother Eric was just referring to a minute ago. It says, whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Now try to go throughout the scripture and find where God gave this promise to somebody else. You can't find, not, not no, in this no degree. No. He gives him this promise. He said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth 
will be loosed in heaven. Now, I'm not going to take time to get into biblical interpretation of this passage because this would be an all day and all night and (laughs) and probably a week-long discussion. But my main point is this. Try to find where he gave anybody the kind of authority he gave to the apostles. And there's a reason for this. He left the preaching uh, of the gospel in the hands of the apostles. He gave the keys which means when he talks about the keys of the kingdom of heaven, talking about the plan of salvation, the message of salvation. What do you do with keys? You open a door. That's right, open the doors. Yes. And so when he gave the keys to Peter, he said, I'm giving you the ability to open the door of the kingdom of heaven. That's right. And so he says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Okay, let's flip over to the book of Matthew chapter 28. Uh, Matthew chapter 28. And please, if you're listening, follow along with this. Yes. I think this is so important to understand the lesson Brother Eric taught because... Uh, a lot of people will sit back and say, well, that's fine. That's what they taught back then, but there's been development since then. Well, I'm trying to tell you why we go back to what the apostles taught. Okay, in Matthew chapter 28, this records what's called the Great Commission. This is one of the recordings of it. We're going to read other recordings of it too. Um, But in Matthew chapter number 28, Jesus has died. He's been buried. He rose again. He appears to his disciples, and he gives them uh, some very... Uh, important messages. Obviously, we know the last words of a person are very important to understanding right. uh, everything you need to know about that person, assuming they're in their right mind, of course. Yes. And um, you, let's just say you were near the deathbed of a relative, and they were in their right mind, and they've been told they have a short amount of time to live, and you're sitting there on the edge of your seat wondering what's the last words going to be that they say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of times, people's last words have been used against them, uh, it's also been used to kind of establish them as a character. Um, th- so there's a lot of different things we can talk about as far as last words. So obviously the last words that Jesus speaks before he leaves earth uh, is very important for us understanding what he desires from us today, right? right? Would you yes, agree sir. with that? Yes, sir. Okay, and so let's read this. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, and I'll, take, I'll read this. Okay, sure. um, and it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now this is important to understand the rest of this passage. Mm -hmm. It says in verse 19, Go ye therefore. Now that word therefore can mean because of this. So because of what I just said, I've been given all power in heaven and in earth. So therefore, disciples, go. And he says, and teach all nations. That word actually means make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them. Now, if somebody that says baptism is not important would have a problem with this passage because right. his last words, remember, we've yes, already established right. the fact they're very important. Right. And he's trying to tell them, when you go and you teach all nations, when you make disciples of all nations, this is how you do it. Mm-hmm. You baptize them. Right. So obviously baptism is That's very important. Exactly right. And then he says, baptizing them in the name, and he brought this out singular, mm-hmm. in the singular name right. of the Father. Well, obviously, Father's not a name. Right. Um, and it says, and of the Son. I don't know of anybody that would disagree with the fact that the Son had a name. Right. I'll never forget a story I heard one time, and I, hopefully I'm not getting off subject here. But uh, this story was told by an elder. I'm not going to mention his name, but very well-respected elder. He's dead now. But he was talking about, uh, he was trying to witness to a Trinitarian. And this Trinitarian was a very learned man. And he brought him into his home, and he said they kind of debated the Word of God for a little bit. And the Trinitarian said, well, what do you do with Matthew 28, 19? And he said, uh, well, I'll quote it for you. He said, uh, go you therefore teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And he said, I looked at that Trinitarian and I said, what is the name of the Son? 
And he said, the man sat there for a long time and he said, oh my goodness. He said, it's Jesus. <laughs> and he said, what uh, the preacher did not realize is this man had memorized the entire New Testament. Wow. And he said, when he said, what is the name of the son? He immediately put all the scriptures together of baptism always taking place in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And he said, he realized that is the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Right. It's Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, because obviously Father's not a name. It's a title. Uh, and then Son's not a name. It's a title. Right. Holy Ghost is not a name. It's, it's a, a title. title. And right. uh, obviously the, the Son had a name, and that name was Jesus. That's so right. it follows from simple logic that the singular name is also the name of the Father and of that the Holy Ghost. Right. Exactly. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, okay, but then he says this. He says, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Now, that is so important. That's right. And then he says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Do you have anything to add to that? No, I just would say that I did, have, um, when talking about the, the baptism part there, had someone who, when teaching this at the college and and very learned young man that knows a lot about scripture um we begin to discuss that about the basically same thing you were saying there about what is the name of the son and he didn't dispute the fact the name of the son obviously being jesus and that he said but according to your belief of the oneness that jesus is the father and the holy ghost that what does it make the difference to to say the titles father son holy ghost we're all talking about the same one and so what I began to do then, and I began to tell him, I said, so if we walked into a room that had, um, was, was full of men, obviously many of them are our fathers, and we were to walk in and holler, Dad, you would have many men turn around and look at you. And if, uh, we would walk in there and holler, Son, there would be so many men that would be, because everyone in there would be a son. Yes. And so everyone would turn and look and wonder, who are they talking to? And so I use it as an example as to say that if we call out on the name of the Father in baptism, what Father are we getting? We could be getting the Father of lies. Um, I called out, if you called out the, the name of the Son, or if you just called out Son, we baptize you in, this, in the name of the Son. Uh, we also have heard the story about there being a son of perdition. And so how do we know exactly who we're calling on? And what we do is we have to put a name to that. And that's why I, uh, when bringing that, and when I told him that, he was kind of dumbfounded by that because he realized that um, there has to be a name on some. So I said, you know, be different and used his name that we're in a group of, of young men or whatever. And I walk up and holler your name. You know who I'm referring to. And, uh, and so he got, you know, it, it was uh, kind of that profound look where he looked and he said, at the end, he just can, can ended it all by saying, well, I'm still a Trinitarian. But anyway, <laughs> but that's about all he could say because you can't begin to argue with that, you know, the singular name here is brought out that there is particularly talking about a specific person yes. and not just a, a multiple duplicity of people. Um, and I also would add, too, that, you know, even the Holy Ghost um, you, you go back to Simon the Sorcerer, and you can find out that the Holy Ghost can be faked, as someone could pr- pr- point, profess yeah. to be the to have the Holy Ghost or profess to be the Holy Ghost, yeah. and it not be that. So that's why the name of Jesus is very important. And you brought up an interesting point there. I heard uh, one man say this, and I'll give him credit here. Brother John John Lambeth made this statement one time. 
he said, you think about it, you could make a trinity out of the devil. Calls him the father of lies, the son of perdition, and the spirit of antichrist. Okay, yeah. And he said, just because you refer to somebody three different ways doesn't mean it's three persons. Okay, and I thought that was an interesting point. Um, I do think that the scripture that needs to uh, be used to interpret the passage, though, is verse 18. We've used it many times going throughout this series that a text out of context is a pretext. Mm -hmm. And make sure you read everything in context. And when in verse 18 he says, All power in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go, therefore, go because all power has been given unto me and baptize them in the name, singular, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Well, uh, he's already identified himself. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You can read that in John chapter 14. Right. So the disciples said, ah, the name of the Father. Well, we understand that. He is the visible image of the invisible God. So I get what he's saying there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he said, no man comes to the Father but by me. And you can read that in John chapter 14. I believe it's verse number mm-hmm. six. And then it says, uh, and of the Holy Ghost, where he already said, the Holy Ghost dwells with you now, and it shall be in you. And then he goes on to say, if I go not away, the Comforter cannot come. Mm-hmm. Well, if they're two separate persons, why would that be a problem? Why would he have to go away for the Holy Ghost to come? Right. He, but he says, he's with you now, he shall be in you. And then he says, I will not leave you comfortless. He had just got through telling them who the comforter is, the Holy Ghost. He says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Oh, he's identified himself as the Holy Ghost. It's going to be the Spirit of Christ is what it is. Mm -hmm. And so they realized that he said, all power has been given to me. Okay, we understand that. And then he says, go because all power has been given unto me. Baptize them in the name. Or some people said, well, that word name just means authority. But... Look at it. There's, again, a text out of context is a pretext. If you want to use name and just say, oh, that just means in the authority of. Okay, that's what some people point mm-hmm. to. And they say, well, we can't take that, you know, about all the baptism in the name of Jesus. That just means in the authority of. But, but look at it. It has an application. When they baptized, they baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. Not just, I baptize you into the authority of Jesus Christ. No, they invoked the name. Every single occasion where they baptized, they invoked the name of Jesus. So obviously the invoking of the name is important. Okay, Uh, now I want to flip over to the book of Mark chapter 16. And all of this is very important to... Uh, prove the point I'm trying to make about why we go back to the apostles' doctrine. So we saw in Matthew chapter number 28 that Jesus gave the disciples authority to make disciples of all nations. Okay, and then he says he ended that by saying, "I'm with you always, even to the end of the age." Okay, now you might say, "Well, how do we know that the disciples taught what Jesus told them to teach?" How do we know that they were in line with what Jesus told them? Okay, let's go over to Mark chapter number 16. I am fully aware that some people would dispute this passage, but I don't really care. Uh, This is in the majority of manuscripts. I'm going to throw that out there for some people that might have done some reading about this. Okay, so Mark chapter 16 and verse number 15 says this, And he said unto them, and this is the same context as what we just read. He's died, he's been buried, he rose again, and these are some of his last words recorded. Okay, and it says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Who's he talking to? To his disciples. Yeah, to his disciples and those gathered there. He says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. 
They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere. Watch this. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Mm -hmm. Obviously what they taught was right. Mm -hmm. Why would God confirm it if it wasn't? Exactly. And, you know, like you said, uh, going all the way back to um, Joel where uh, Peter said, um, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Yes, Joel 2.28. Uh, so, yeah, Joel 2.28. Yeah, talking about the uh, the Bible, the, the, this, what we're talking about was prophesied in the Old Testament. Yes. And so uh, we, we see that it's being fulfilled in the New and then being played out throughout the whole Bible. So, yes. you know, it ain't just something that the, the apostles just got some fuzzy idea that they were going to make this up. Yes. But it's something that they actually uh, followed it through with the, the Scripture and, and, you know, took it what they read in the Old Testament about. Yes. Um, and, and see how many times they quoted the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's actually, that's a very good point, too, that we need, uh, I think is worth discussing as well. The next reading we're going to take, uh, we're gonna take is uh, Luke chapter 24, and we're going to read another account of the Great Commission. But... Uh, we see that obviously he left all of the preaching in the hands of the disciples. But when the disciples went and they preached, they preached about the foundation. He said, uh, one of them writing, he said, we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Okay, <laughs> there's so much in that verse. We're built upon the foundation. Now, what, what is the foundation? Obviously, the foundation is important to the building. If you don't have a good foundation, your building's not going to stand. Jesus has already said, Whosoever heareth these things in mind and doeth them, I will liken him to a wise man who build his house upon the rock, the rains that came, the floods that sent, and beat upon the house, and it stood. But whoever heareth the sayings of mine and doeth them not, I will liken him to a foolish man that built his house upon the sand. When the rains came, the floods descended, it beat upon that house and it, and it drove it down, in other words, because it wasn't built on the right foundation. And refer to Brother Eric's previous lesson on structure. Uh, to, to learn about that. But here's the thing about that is your foundation is important as to whether or not your house is going to stand. If the church had not been built on the right foundation, it would not have lasted. That's right. Okay? And so this is the point I'm trying to make here is that they said we're built upon the foundation. What is the foundation? He goes on to explain of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Okay, this is important because, Brother Eric, you mentioned something. Somebody might say, uh, talking about, you know, uh, Peter said, be baptized in the name of Jesus. But Jesus said, go ye therefore, teach all, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And some people would say, I'd rather take the words of Jesus and Simon Peter. Problem with that. Because according to the Bible, we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, which is built upon Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. They weren't in uh, conflict in what they taught. They were teaching what Jesus told them to teach. In fact, if you back up and look at what Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and he said, repent, Jesus had told him to preach that. The very first message he preaches, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish, Luke 13 and, and 3. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he says, and be baptized. Well, we've already read that. Jesus told them to, to say that. You read that in Matthew chapter 28. Read that in Mark chapter 16. Read it also in John chapter 3, verse 5. Be born again of the water and spirit. Mm-hmm. And then he says, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Read that in John chapter 7, verse number 37. In the last day, great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly 
belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. But the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus had taught them repentance, baptism, Holy Ghost. That's all Peter preached. He only preached what he had been taught. That's right. And also, what well, you're actually getting ready to go there by reading Luke. But I thought one of the things there I thought of was where then the Bible says he led him as far as the Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Yes. And then, but it said, and then opened he their understanding. That's a good point. That they may understand the scriptures. Good point. Because sometimes that's why people get stuck in a rut of false doctrine or whatever, because they don't have the Holy Ghost to help lead them and guide them through the truth. You open up that understanding. Yes. The Bible says the spirit of truth will lead and guide you in all truth. That's a good point, actually. <clears throat> um because the Bible does say he opened their understanding, so they didn't have a misunderstanding. No, of the right, they didn't have a misunderstanding. Right. Uh, and then Luke chapter 24 and verse 47, mm -hmm. it says, And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Well, who's he talking about? If we go down and read verse 50, what Brother Eric just referred to, and he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Well, the same guy that wrote Luke wrote the book of Acts. Right. And when Acts opens up, who's Jesus talking to? Those that are going to be in the upper room and receive the Holy That's Ghost. Right. They're going to go and preach. So we've read uh, now three accounts of... Jesus telling the disciples, it's in your hands. You're the mm -hmm. ones that's supposed to go and preach the gospel, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. And say, okay, now John ends, actually some people would leave John out talking about the Great Commission, but it also has something in there that's important. Let's go over to the book of John mm -hmm. and the last chapter of John. But Eric already knows where I'm going with this. <laughs> uh, but John chapter number 21, uh, and there's a context which I'm going to leave out, but I do want to say this. Uh, Jesus tells Simon Peter three times, feed my sheep, mm -hmm. or feed my, my lambs, lambs, feed my lambs. And then he says, feed my sheep. Uh, you could read that in John chapter 21 in verse uh, 15. And then he says it again in verse number 16. Uh, and then you can read uh, again in verse number 17. He says, feed my sheep. Now, what is he talking about? Feed my sheep. He's talking about uh, my church. Feed my church. Right. He left the preaching of the gospel in the hands of the disciples, and in particular, Simon Peter, because Peter had the keys. That's why in Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up, and he lifts up his voice, and he preaches. And when they ask men and brethren, what shall we do in Acts chapter 2 at verse 37, it's Peter that responds, repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Ghost. But another point I want to bring out and refer to the series on uh, the Apostles' Doctrine and uh, I'm still in the process of working my way through that. But one thing that I think is very important is that Peter says, for the promise, referring to the promise of the Father, which has been referred to at least three times, I believe. It's in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, wait for the promise of the Father. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, he said, Jesus is ascended into heaven and hath poured forth this which you see and hear. But he said, he hath received of uh, the promise of the Father. So you read of that in several occasions. And then he again, he says this, after saying, repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, to you here today. Mm -hmm. It's also to your children, the next generation, and to all them that are afar off. Meaning that could either mean Gentile nations or it could also mean to future generations. Mm -hmm. Generations far off, way in the future. It's not going to change, in other words. So it's not as if...
we're like uh, teaching something totally different from what the apostles taught, or, or we can teach anything different because it's supposed to be the same to that generation that was there, to the next generation, and to generations afar off. It was meant to have the same message preached. Right, and what comes to mind when you say that is uh, how they say that a lot of times people will tell you that it died with the death of the apostles but and that the preaching isn't the same anymore. We don't have to preach the same kind of belief or or whatever. But the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, mm-hmm. and forever. So he still relies upon a preacher. He still relies upon the somebody to reveal the Word of God and open up understanding to people so we can um, understand what the Word yes, of God is telling us. Absolutely. And I also think it's essential that I had a guy uh, debate me one time on this point. I was teaching kind of along the same lines of what we're talking about here today. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about putting our emphasis in the Word of God, the Apostles' Doctrine, and we're supposed to teach the same thing. And uh, you, you know the guy I'm talking about. Very you know, learned in the Scriptures. Mm-hmm. He knew the Bible very well. Mm-hmm. And one of his points was, uh, he said, okay, well, you know, uh, Paul apparently taught something totally different than what Peter taught because he says, this wasn't revealed to me by men, uh, but I received it by revelation. I said, yes, but you're missing a very important part of that same verse of Scripture. You're referring to the book of Galatians. Mm -hmm. But it says he went back and conferred with the disciples lest he had been, uh, uh, what he had learned was in vain. Mm -hmm. So he said, you know what? This has come by revelation, but I'm still going to run it by the apostles. Yeah. So obviously he respected their authority, but more than just respecting it, he submitted himself to the apostles because Jesus left the preaching of the gospel in the hands of the apostles. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that's very important. And also, you know, you look in Acts chapter 2, um, again, refer to our apostles' doctrine series because we're kind of walking our way through this now. But it was Peter that preached on the day of Pentecost. Right. It was Peter that preached to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. Uh, that initially opened the door. Now, Paul would go and preach to Gentiles and focus on Gentiles after that. But Peter opened the door. The Samaritans, he had to be the one to lay hands on them to get the Holy Ghost. Because I I remember one time I was studying that, and I thought, why did it have to be Peter and John uh, that would go down and pray for them to receive the Holy Ghost? Why couldn't Philip do it? But then it hit me, oh, because he has the keys. He had to open the door initially. Right. And I remember, I think it was you that had preached a a message on that here at the church about... uh, the phases that Peter unlocked the door to the, yes. the Samaritans and yeah, and uh, th- I was actually going to make reference to that right before you did about about that. That Pete, every time the Holy Ghost was poured out, it was Peter that God used sent to open the key, to open the door to the the Gentiles, to the Samaritans, to the Jews, obviously first, and uh, and then so that's why we refer back to the words of Peter today because yes. it's still unlocking doors. And changing people's lives. Yes. And also another point to make is that you may say, well, Peter stepped out on his own. and He said that. And, uh, you know, what What were the other disciples going to do? Were they going to contest him? Well, the Bible says him standing up with the 11. To stand would mean to stand in agreement. They're mm-hmm. all standing in agreement with Peter right. as Peter, Peter as the representative because he has the keys, preaches the message. They all stand in agreement with That's him. Right. So it's not as if... He preached one thing, and, and this other group preached something else. So Paul, the, my point was this. Yes, Paul, it's true. If he wrote the book of Hebrews, he wrote over uh, half of the New Testament. Right. However, uh, he says he still had to go and confer with the apostles to make sure what he was teaching matched what they were teaching. Right, exactly. And they didn't teach two totally different things, because I know some people will say, well, 
Uh, you know, it's Paul that did away with the law. They're still, uh, the Muslims have a problem with Paul. They, they hate right. Paul mm-hmm. because they think that Paul was the one that caused people to start worshiping Jesus as Messiah. But again, I refer back to that. Paul said, when I got my revelation, I went back to the apostles and we were in agreement. Mm-hmm. And then you could read in the book of, of Peter, I think it's Second Peter, where he says, Paul's writing some things hard to be understood. He said, but some people take and rest these things as they do also the other scriptures, putting Paul's writings on the same level as the other scriptures, referring right. to Old Testament. That's right. So uh, obviously Peter thought highly of Paul and he stood with Paul. He even allowed Paul to rebuke him on one occasion because he was eating. He was showing hypocrisy, and Paul rebuked him, and apparently he submitted to Paul's rebuke. So I think there's important points to be made here that they're not teaching two totally different no, things. Right. right. And I would also, uh, talking about Paul, one thing to, to bring up about that is uh, his conversion on the road. And that is a lot of people think that it was a conversion that was dealt with just him and God. But actually God sent him to the apostles. That's good. And told him, told the apostles to tell him what he needed to do. Yes, Ananias. So he didn't leave it up to his own idea. To, you know, I, I've got something special I want you to do, Paul, and then you figure it out. But he sent him to the apostles and told the apostles to mentor him and guide him yes. along and, and teach him the ways of God so that he would know how to receive the Holy Ghost. And, and then, of course, we know that what Galatians says about if an angel from heaven come preaching any other gospel than he has preached, then Paul, let him be accursed. Yes. So then, you know, you can, and of course, your water and spirit uh, lesson goes back to that, talking about um, what the Apostle Paul preached, water and spirit, talking about uh, he come to the upper coast of Ephesus, find certain believers, and ask, um, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, we have not heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And then he said, well, then how was you baptized? And he, so he went right back to everything that Peter preached. Yes. And said, well, then how was you baptized? We, and we was baptized under John's baptism. And then, you know, he told about John only baptized with repentance, but that uh, he, he commanded him to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Actually, don't say that he commanded. I'm sorry, that's Peter that said that in, in Acts chapter 10. Yeah. But he said he took him and he baptized him in the name of the Lord and laid hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. And so we see that there was an agreement in the way that Peter did things and the way that Paul did things. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, there's several things, too. You were talking about uh, the fact there that... Uh, he agreed with with Peter with what Peter taught. Uh, you know, if if you look at how the New Testament uh, is written, it's very beautiful because obviously you've got the gospel. So you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that record the life of Jesus. Recorded uh, Jesus walked the earth uh, for obviously over thirty years, but for three and a half years he spent with his disciples to make sure they got it. Mm-hmm. Now. Think about that. He invested everything in the hands of these men. I could say 12, but obviously Judas Iscariot right. failed him. But let's just say the 11. So he, he, he invested three and a half years in these 11 men. He taught them. He was, he was intimate with them. There was three in particular, uh, Peter, James, John, that he took up on the mountain. And, uh, you know, the Mount of Transfiguration took them in when he raised the girl from the dead and several other things. So uh, these three men in particular, Peter... Mm-hmm. You know, uh, obviously Peter wrote a couple of epistles, but then you've got uh, Peter. A lot of people believe that it's Peter that gave his account to Mark when Mark, and that's what Mark based his account on, is oh, what right. Peter told him. And so, uh, but then John obviously wrote his own gospel and wrote a few epistles in there too. Uh, but one of the things I, I love is the fact that Acts plays such an important role in the New Testament in that 
It shows us how the church was started. It shows us how the church uh, spread uh, to to other regions because Jesus said in Samaria, you know, in, in Jerusalem, uh, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. So Jerusalem, the immediate the immediate area, Judea, uh, the the surrounding region, uh, to Samaria, uh, to the surrounding nation that was half breeds, and then it says then uh, to the uttermost parts of the world, meaning going into Gentile nations. Well, you see this the 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 spread out of the church, if I could put it this way, taking place a little bit piece at a time. Acts chapter 2, it's to the Jews. It opens uh, and it mostly takes place in Jerusalem. They're gathered there together for the Feast of Pentecost. It happened at a strategic time. And God's so awesome. I mean, just the way he does things. Because millions of Jews would gather together to celebrate Pentecost. And so when God poured out his spirit, it's so awesome the way that happened because it was easy for the word to spread to the other Jews. And then it says they were devout men. So it opened to the Jews and it starts, but then it starts to spread into Judea. Uh, And then it says, because the church multiplied, and then you can read in Acts chapter 8, it goes to Samaria, just like Jesus said. Uh, And then it goes from Samaria to later to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. Uh, And then once that opens, you have uh, Paul, who would be used to spread the gospel to the Gentiles, and he's going to focus almost primarily on the Gentiles, except, of course, he says, take me back to Jerusalem, back to the Jews, toward the, the latter portion of his ministry. But So he focuses on those Gentile nations, but my point being this is that Luke wrote his account. You've got to understand why he wrote his account. He wrote his account to record the beginning of the church, to show that the church was not a politi- political organization, uh, he, he wrote his account to show this is how they started preaching to the Gentiles. It's not as if they just said, well, uh, you know, we're going to ignore the Jews and, and we don't want to obey these laws anymore. So it, so he, he showed the progression of the church, if you will. Yeah. Uh, but he also showed, because remember, Luke traveled with Paul. Yes. And so Luke focuses on Paul's ministry throughout the latter portion of Acts to show right. that Paul was not in his own ballpark preaching his own little thing, but he was actually connected with the apostles. He had met with the church elders, and he was sent and ordained by the church elders, and he met with them on multiple occasions, and they sanctioned his activity and right. his preaching. Yes. Uh, so this is, I said all that to say this, and it was a long way around <laughs> to make this point. Uh, the fact is that Paul, Peter, John, it's not as if any of them were out preaching their own thing. They're all in agreement, and what they preached was what Jesus had told them to preach. That's right. So when we go back to the apostles' doctrine, we're not just going back to what some men thought. We're going back to what Jesus, uh, to the men that Jesus appointed to preach the message. And it was their message the church was built upon, and it was their message that they continued steadfastly in. Does that make right. sense? Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, it's good. And... Um, I would say too, you know, that the when you're referring to Luke being the um, one that was with Paul, yes, and, and he being the one that wrote the book of Acts, um, it would be neat to, to a neat idea to look at this at, as though that Paul wrote to believers, but Luke's account was to Theophilus, yes, was so an unbeliever, and and so that uh, to let us know that like that's what the the church was actually how you've got a pastor who pastors the flock and keeps keeps the the church in line but you've got the people that are under him that go out and reach the unbeliever yes and, and spread the gospel to them and to let them know that the same thing you know, like in the the agreements of peter and and paul that you know paul everything paul is doing is just 
confirming what Peter started with the day of Pentecost. And an extension mm-hmm. of an it, extension, too. Right. An exactly. extension of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's there's a reason why uh, we've mentioned this in previous lessons, the Bible 101 series, talking about how the Bible is in such agreement. And right. why that's so incredible is you got to stop and think about how quickly the church spread. I mean, just read it. Go through the account. It says multitudes. And it says that several times. Mm-hmm. Multitudes, multitudes, multitudes were believing. Uh, the church was spreading so fast. And there was a little bit of confusion because as, obviously as it started to reach into the Gentile nations, there were some Jews saying, oh, they got to do everything just like we did it. They got to uh, be circumcised according to the law. They got to obey all the dietary laws. And they, they've got to do everything just like the law of Moses told them. And that's why the church conferred together and had a council to try to figure out, what do we do with this Gentile church that's uh, that's now forming? Do they have to go through all the old laws and, and everything else? And it was Peter that stood up and said, brethren, he said that this was a burden that neither us nor our fathers were able to bear. Mm-hmm. Don't take and put this on the Gentiles. So it's not like Paul was the one that brought that barrier down and right. said, well, let's let's stop obeying the law. And and why do I say this? Because some Muslims will point to this and they'll say, well, obviously what Paul taught was totally different than what the apostles taught. But Luke wrote his account. And one of the things I think he put in there, obviously by divine inspiration, mm-hmm is that it wasn't Paul that brought that wall down. Peter, Peter the man with the keys, that's right. the man that preached yes. the opening message on the day of Pentecost was the one that said, no, let's not put this burden on the Gentile church. And then James, obviously another important uh, uh, role that he played in this, uh, many people believe he was the Lord's brother that in one of the first church pastors uh, that, that probably wrote the book of James as well, mm-hmm. uh, says he's the one that wrote the letter to the Gentiles and said, we'll put on you no more than this to, you know, to, uh, to stay away from sexual immorality, to not eat things with blood or things strangled. And so uh, he says, but we're not going to put the, any more on you than this. Uh, and to me, that is so beautiful to show that they were in agreement with what they did. Right. So this is my point. Uh, Acts ties it all together. Yes. Because if we didn't have the book of Acts, right. we wouldn't know that. I couldn't that's use right. that argument. No, that's you know exactly. what I'm saying? Yes, sir. I, honestly, I could not use the argument. Mm-hmm. We, we might wonder, well, was Paul and Peter in agreement? I don't, I don't know because Paul even talked about an argument him and Peter had. Mm-hmm. Peter seems to talk about some people taking a rest in his script. But the book of Luke... Uh, the book of Luke and the book of Acts, right, but right. it's both. It's a, it's a two-parter. Mm-hmm. And he writes the same person. Uh, right. And in Acts... That's to me, it just ties everything together so beautifully to show yeah. us what the church was, uh, how it started. And okay, and I've used the, the reference before talking about we need to go back to the original recipe. Um, you know, if, if you got some confusion and the church has lost its power and there's uh, so many different groups, you got this denomination and this denomination, this one believes this and this one believes that, and they all claim to be right. Mm-hmm. Well, if there's not a foundation to go back to, uh, if there's not an original recipe then go, to go back to, then, you know, who's to say this one's right and this one's wrong? Mm-hmm. That's right. And you saying that makes me realize, too, we talk about going back to the apostles and their teaching. But what about going back to the attitude that the believers had, that they that gladly received the yes. word that's were good. baptized? That's good. And um, because that's the, that's the problem we have nowadays. People don't want to be told. They don't want to have to listen. Yes. And, um, you know, and, and it's been talked about before the, the, the difference between the, the message that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost versus the, the message that Stephen preached 
and both the and both were cut at the heart. But one said cut at the heart, the other was pricked in the heart. But it's a similar response, but different or similar uh, feelings. Feelings, but yeah, but different response. Yes, yeah. One drove them to repentance, and the other one drove them to stone the the messenger. That's and good. So, yeah. So you know, when when you look at it that way, um, the attitude that has got to return, not just the the old passive, the teaching, the doctrine, but we need to have the the attitude of being able to receive the word of God from the preacher, from the one that's uh, teaching us. Yes, that, there's something too I want to tag in there, and we'll close this down here pretty soon. We're clocking in at 46 minutes. Okay. Isn't it amazing how, <laughs> how quickly time passes yes, when you is. talk about the Bible? Right. Uh, me and Eric are, are buddies. We like yeah, to talk about the Bible, right, so sure. time just flies when you talk about the Word of God. But uh, several things I, I do want to say, at least in closing here, is uh, the fact that obviously they did it right. Because the Lord confirmed the word, mm-hmm. and they had miracles. Acts chapter three. You say, well, did they do preach the right message in Acts chapter two? We'll just look at Acts chapter three. A lame man's healed yep. when he says, "In the name of Jesus, get up and walk." And Jesus confirms the word. Right. He heals the man. Uh, and then you read all the beautiful miracles that Paul. Paul even handkerchiefs went out, and people mm-hmm. that had evil spirits, the evil spirit would depart when they get a hold of Paul's right. handkerchief. Right. Uh, the miracles, it, men were raised from the dead. You could talk about Eutychus. You could talk about what? Who is it? Publius, I think it is. Yes. Uh, you could talk about all these different miracles that happened. Obviously, Jesus liked what they preached, right. and so he confirmed the word. But this is the the uh, closing remark I want to make, and feel free to add anything to this. Mm-hmm. Some people might say, and I got this argument one time. I was I was teaching about uh, going again, same kind of concept here. It's one of my favorite subjects to talk about. Going back to the apostles' doctrine, right. and uh, this man argued with me. And he said, "Well, I just don't think the church is biblical." He said, "You know, it started in the beginning that way, but he said that the people have gotten so far away." And uh, the church has just lost its purpose, and, and Jesus doesn't even want there to be a major church anymore. It needs to be j- just believers. And uh, my response to that is the very last book in our New Testament, the book of Revelation, was written to what? The seven churches of Asia Minor. And this is the last book of our New Testament. Uh, written last. All scholars pretty much are in agreement that this was written last. Mm-hmm. Somewhere some say as late as eighty ninety. So you're talking about the very last book of the New Testament, written last in chronological order, uh, in, in time, everything else, and it's written to churches. Please tell me that, uh, you know, if, if this is the last book of our New Testament and it doesn't do away with the church, and there's still churches in, in the day of, of the book of Revelation, and it's written to churches, and Jesus speaks to churches, rebukes some of them, commends some of them. Never does he ever say, do away with the church. Uh, and so this is my point, is uh, if Jesus didn't do away with the church, then why are you doing away with it? Obviously, you don't have a solid argument or any solid ground to stand on if you're trying to do away with the mm-hmm. church. So, you know, this freelance, I'm going to do my own little thing, and, and I'm going to live for Jesus in my own little corner, and I'm not going to submit to a church government, and I'm not going to submit to a preacher, and, and I'm just going to read my Bible and pray uh, is not biblical because uh, the Bible does tell us very plainly that he mentioned it earlier in Acts chapter number 9 when Jesus spoke to Paul. He didn't tell him how to be saved. Saul, excuse me, it was Saul of right. Tarsus at that point. Right. And he said, there's a man coming to you to go to preach to you right. and tell you how to be saved. Same thing with Cornelius. The Cornelius. angel appears yeah. to him in Acts chapter number 10. And take time to read it on your own. But uh, in Acts chapter number 10, when that happens... 
the, the Lord didn't tell him how to be saved. He said, a man's coming that will right. tell you how to be saved. You can read that in Acts chapter 11. Peter gives his account. He says that one thing the angel told Cornelius was, he will tell thee how thou oughtest to be saved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in Acts chapter 19, it took a preacher preaching to those disciples of John the Baptist who had been trained under John the Baptist, who Jesus said, among those that are born of women, none's greater than John, but it still took a preacher to, right. to tell them how to be saved. And so we don't believe in, in the Bible doesn't talk about being lords over God's heritage. It even warns us about that. Right. Uh, so we don't believe that, you know, it's it's all about just a man telling you everything, you know, telling you what automobile to buy and telling you what home to live in and, and telling you what you need to do with all of your finances. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Bible does tell us very clearly. And, and in fact, let's read this in closing. Mm-hmm. Romans chapter number 9. And can you grab me Ephesians chapter 4? Okay. So I'm going to get Romans chapter, uh, excuse me, Romans chapter 10. And uh, some of people's favorite scripture, you know, talk about if thou shalt confess with your mouth, yes, Lord Jesus. Right. But go on to read, because uh, the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For uh, And then it goes on to say, How then shall they call in him of whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you can't even, this scripture tells us, now you might point to, uh, you know, verse number nine, say if we confess, the Bible says we just confess and believe we're saved. But it says you can't even hear the gospel without a preacher. You need somebody to preach to you. But then it goes further. Once you've heard the gospel, you need to obey it. Because he says, uh, you know, they have not all obeyed the gospel. And he says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Uh, But we need to obey the gospel, okay? But then it goes a step beyond that. Even once you've obeyed. Uh, read in, and you know which scripture I'm talking about in Ephesians chapter number four, and I'm talking about the uh, uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, right, teachers, yes, fivefold One. ministry. Yes. Um, uh, let's see if we can find this quickly here. Uh, okay. Yeah, because he. This is it. Here it is. It's uh, Ephesians chapter four and verse number eleven, and I want to read the entire context okay. here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Ephesians chapter four and verse number eleven. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why did he do this? Next verse. For the perfecting okay, of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying. Now, notice what he's saying here. For the perfecting of the saints, not sinners. Right. These are people that believe the gospel. They've heard it and they've obeyed it. Yes, sir. But he says it's for our perfecting. Okay, It's for the work of the ministry and for the edifying. That word edifying means building up of the body of Christ. So even once you obey, now you might say, well, yeah, but I've, I've been perfected. Uh, I've been built up. I don't need a preacher anymore. But need notice the next verse, verse 13, till we come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Can I just stop here and ask you, are you perfect? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> yeah. So obviously uh, we still need a preacher. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yes. And it says unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. This is why you need a preacher. Mm-hmm. So you don't just like a, a leaf in the wind blow around with every wind of doctrine. Right. That's the reference. That's what he's talking about. You don't need to be just constantly blown this way and that. Well, yes. this is what I believe today. Because if you're going to be left to yourself, guess what? 
you're going to constantly change your opinion. Yes. Uh, and you're going to be like a leaf blowing yeah. in the wind because, uh, you know, pressure, and I mentioned it in the discussion with Brother Ross, uh, pressure will either conform you or transform you. Right. And so when you face pressure, you're likely to change. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I would say here at the, at the conclusion of this is uh, for a long time I, as a young person growing up and hearing these things, we sometimes we want to tend to take back door to uh, false doctrine and just kind of back down and uh, say, you know, we don't want to argue. We don't want to be argumentative and, and all that. But we, um, you know, and, and maybe we feel like we don't feel like we able to handle the word of God very good or know what we're talking about. But uh, this was just something that came to mind as I thought about David when he went and killed Goliath. He didn't have to use the sword. God did the work and then he used his sword. Uh-huh. And cut his head off. Yes. And so you can take the, the the scriptures that they use out of context, and you can take what sword they have, and you can use it and chop it in two, chop uh-huh. it off. Because um, and there's also a scripture I don't know exactly where it's at in Samuel, but it talks about there is there no smith in Israel, and it talks about that they went they had to go down to the garrison of the Philistines and sharpen their swords. Uh-huh. And but what would happen when they came back? They came back with no swords because only Jonathan and his armor bearer had a sword. Yeah. And exactly. so, so when you go and, and you let them uh, sharpen your sword, they take it away. Yes. And so you can't be uh, afraid to sharpen your own sword and let the man of God, the smith, sharpen your sword yeah, for you. Yeah, that's a good point. So, that's because good point. It, he puts things in you sometimes that you don't see on your own, and the anointing of God you know, makes it live in your heart, and you're able to um, understand it better from a man of God sometimes and trying to read it or get trying to, uh, you know, Come up with your own idea and sharpen your own sword. That's yes. what I'm trying to say. Uh, and that's a good point and kind of leads into my closing words here. Mm-hmm. I just thought somebody might be out there listening and they might say, well, how do I know which preachers preach in truth? And uh, if you say I need a pastor, uh, how do I know the pastor's teaching truth? Well, it's all about the discussion we just had. Does he go back to the apostles' doctrine? Does he teach what they taught? If he puts his reliance upon the Bible, let, let me give you a good illustration. If you go, if you walk into a church this Sunday, or you know, whenever we're allowed to get yeah, back right, together, right. Uh, when you when you walk into a church and you sit down, uh, some of the first words out of the preacher's mouth might be a good indicator of whether or not he preaches the apostles' doctrine. Does he read a text? Does yeah. he read from the Bible? Does he discuss uh, scripture? Does he build the foundation of his message upon scripture, or does he just use illustrations constantly? Mm-hmm. And and does he even open a Bible? Does he even take a Bible to the pulpit? Right. Uh, does he open it? Does he teach from the Bible? These are good indicators to find out whether or not you've got a preacher that's preaching truth. Mm-hmm. And uh, thankfully, we have a pastor that, that right. teaches straight from the Bible. And, yeah. and I think that's the thing because uh, a lot of churches out there may claim to teach from the Bible, but really they, they may take a scripture here or a scripture there and claim that what they teach is from the scriptures. But you need to find out where they're putting their emphasis. Are they constantly going back to the Word of God to establish everything that they say from the Bible? Because it's it's like we we go back to uh, one of the points I made in a previous lesson. Without moral absolutes, uh, everything's in turmoil. You've got to have a straight line. Uh, you've got to have a, a a straight line in order to to say what's crooked. You know, because if if what's who's to say? Well, this is straight and this is crooked unless you've got a defining line. Mm-hmm. Our defining line is the Bible. It's the That's Word of right. God. Mm-hmm. And uh, that should be how you base your, your and I want to use the term judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand that that word gets a bad 
route. But uh, that needs to be what you base your life upon is the Bible. So make sure you get a preacher that teaches the Word of God. And uh, so can I encourage you today that, uh, you know, return to the Apostles' Doctrine, go back to the Bible, go back to the foundation, get yourself in a church, a good church, find a, a preacher that preaches the Word of God. Does he preach the Apostles' Doctrine, repentance, baptism, Holy Ghost? Does he does he teach uh, the necessity of holiness and the necessity of, uh, of paying your tithes and the necessity of uh, submitting to a church government? Uh, these are some of the indicators. And when you say that, what came to mind was, by your fruit, by their fruits, you shall know them. Yes, that's a good point. By their fruits, mm-hmm. uh, it, do they pre- also? This is another key factor, and we'll close out with this: Do they preach with love? That's another mm-hmm. thing, uh, because and I know love has gotten a bad rap. Mm-hmm. Do they preach the truth, but do they preach it with love? Right. That's there's there's two sides to that coin. Mm-hmm. If they don't love the lost. And if they're not trying to preach salvation to the lost, and if they don't even take time to reach out to the lost, I'll be honest with you, uh, the city where I'm living now, I've lived here for seven years. Mm -hmm. Our door's been knocked maybe two times Mm -hmm. by local churches. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you our church regularly reaches out, and we're about almost the only, I would say outside of one other group, Mm -hmm. we're about the only church in the town that really knocks doors and tries to reach people on buses and and in homeless shelters and in nursing homes and prisons and everything else. Uh, So do they love people and do they reach out to the lost? These These are some indicators. And hopefully, you know, this is an inexhaustible subject again. Anything you get into in the Bible is an inexhaustible subject. So we haven't covered everything, but hopefully we've at least made you do something. We hope you have enjoyed this Bible 101 episode. Please leave a comment to let us know what you think. Also email BibleTTabernacle29 at gmail.com. That is B-I-B-L-E-T-T-A-B-E-R-N-A-C-L-E 29 at gmail.com to leave us comments, questions, or maybe ideas for future episodes. Thank you so much for listening.